Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the Red Zone Restricted podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin as we discuss Liverpool's 2-1 win over Ajax. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Liverpool have responded to their dreadful defeat against Napoli last week. They're off the mark in Group A in the Champions League, courtesy of a late winner from Joel Matip against Ajax. Salah opened the scoring for Liverpool. Ajax equalised through Kudos, um, but then Matip striking late on. And with the assistance of the goal line technology, Liverpool snatched the three points. So me and Chris are going to talk about this in detail and and enjoy actually speaking about a win uh, for once. That's, that's certainly what it feels like this season. Chris, before we get into the game, I want to talk about something that happened pre-match. Obviously, a lot of discussion about this uh, heading into it. Um, minute silence um, following the death of the Queen. What was that like in terms of how it was observed? Because um, from what I'm seeing on Twitter, a lot of people saying it was 99.9% fine. Um, maybe a few journalists trying to stir some trouble though. So what was your experience like in the actual stadium? I think 99% fine is probably the way to put it. Um, you know, in the build-up to the game, of course, when you get inside the ground, you, you start talking about the football, you start looking forward towards the match. Um, you, know, you are focused on the football and everyone will have known um, the respects that were to be paid this evening. And I have to say the vast, vast, vast majority inside Anfield did show their respects and, resp- and show their respects very well. Unfortunately, there were one or two undeniable fools who decided to try and ruin it for everybody else if i'm being bluntly honest about all this um from my experience uh, i was in the anfield road end this evening and the second that the referees whistle blue it felt like from the sir kenny douglish stand to my left hand side um almost a borderline cheer really, which was crass, which was stupid, which was ignorant, whatever word you want to use for it, which then, of course, led to one or two people telling them to be quiet, which sparks other people up. Um, So, yeah, the, the, you know, it was so, it was so sad to see, given that it literally happened on the, on the referee's whistle as well. So it was almost like someone was waiting, ready to, to pounce on this opportunity to have their five seconds of fame but you know uh, well the less we talk about those individuals the better um but yes the vast majority of the field paid their respects well yeah I, I think as well you know we saw a tweet earlier today from the uh hillsborough survivors um alliance and they sort of said look you're gonna bring a lot of um negative publicity on on the football club um if you do boo you know if you do make any noise and i'd like to think that's Maybe part of the reason why it was 99% uh, respectful, like you say. And we also have to consider, I think, that, you know, it's a stadium of, you know, 53,000 people. But when everyone is inside that stadium is being quiet, then it only takes, you know, 10 people almost to make to make noise. And you're going to hear them very prominently just because yeah. everyone's fallen so silent. And, and that's just 
the nature of it. So I think um, really we've just got to maybe focus on the positive, like, like you say, that it was um, yeah, respectful yeah. for the yeah. most part. Um, because unfortunately we have seen, you know, certainly when you talk about Hillsborough, and, you know, we, we have seen other crass chanting towards that in, in, in recent times. We saw, of course, uh, well, at Wembley, Last year, we you know, all you know, yeah. It, it was a minute silence, and of course, it turned into what thirty seconds because the referee literally couldn't carry it on at Wembley last season. So it's it's a you know whatever your opinions, it's a minute of someone's time. It's a minute of your life that all you have to do is stay quiet and respect somebody who gave a lot to this country for the vast majority of their life. So it says a lot. It says more about those individuals than than inside Anfield because of course you could say. You know, on Twitter, on social media, the way it acts, people act as if the minority reflects the majority, and it just wasn't the case. And you know that whoever it was that made those noises, you're not clever. So, yeah, the the less said about them, the better. And on that note, we'll move away from that and onto the on-field action, and we'll go for our three-word match reviews. So, Chris, uh, if you want to go first. Yeah, I when uh, you know, when when I'm on the pod, I always try and think about it throughout the game, uh, and it changed a few times. To be honest with you, I could say the ones that I was thinking later on, but the one I went with was practice makes perfect because they certainly got the heading practice in um, this evening at Anfield. I mean, I, I lost. I'm looking at the stats now. I lost count of the amount of corners. I'm actually surprised it was as few as ten. To be honest with you, from Liverpool's point of view, but. Yeah, it, it, it became it became almost a bombardment at one point in terms of the set pieces that were going in towards the Ajax penalty area. Of course, uh, the, the the goalkeeper, Pazvir, great save to deny Van Dijk in the first half. Um, they dealt relatively well with a few opportunities in terms of you know, maybe forcing Van Dijk and Matip to head over. But of course, Liverpool's last corner was the most decisive of the lot with, uh, with Joel Matip scoring at the cop end and yeah, they, cer- they certainly got their eye in in terms of practicing set pieces tonight, and eventually it paid off in, uh, in dramatic circumstances. Yeah, I think you know practice makes perfect. That, that's one of the, one of the things actually noted down really in terms of the dominance Liverpool enjoyed. You know, twenty four shots during the game. Um, the keeper makes eight saves, but the amount of those shots that were maybe made to look sort of less menacing or the opportunities less menacing because it was kind of straight to the goalkeeper. Um it, it was it was frustrating really. But I think we've really got to talk about the extent that Liverpool dominated this match and and we were saying before we came on, Chris, that the possession stats which um what was it? I, 40, I refuse to believe it. Is it forty four? Fifty six forty four. I'm I'm not having that. <laughs> yeah, I think you know the the first half it seemed that, that could be viable. And then second, you're like, it seemed like it was completely Liverpool from almost start to finish in that second half with only one or two uh, moments for, for Ajax really in our final third. Um, and even beyond the possession, you've got obviously the, the shot count, which Liverpool had, had 24, I think, was it only three that Ajax had yeah. um, only, during only the one game? Target, which you know, it, it, it's a great finish from Kudus. Let's not take anything away yeah. from that. You know, Allison is rooted to a spot, could do anything about it. But that's when I did start to think, as the dominance and the chances came along, where 
it felt like a game that we'd seen quite a few times in that the one chance the opposition had went in. And it was having to create a few it was having to create two or three opportunities to begin to take one. Almost similar in some respects, maybe to to, to Crystal Palace um in, in that centre. Obviously they, they had their counter in that game. But if you look at the expected goals, Ajax had 0.27 the whole game. Um and you almost when you have a goal like that from Kudos, it's like obviously there's the sort of imperative there of winning the match and and you're frustrated and and you're concerned, but also you've got to keep sight of the, of the fact really that the performance had been really good up to that point and it is it's a difficult chance and it, and it's a ama- amazing finish um and thankfully we were able to to get the reward uh, for their display late on because I thought you know when you think about those stats you know three shots allowed 0.27 um, xG for the opponents. That's much, much more like it um, for me in terms of what I what I'd expect. I don't think it was a perfect performance by any means, but it looked much more, um, yeah, of sort of Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool really. And that's why for me tonight, it's not about taking this almost beyond the context of and, and thinking it of in terms of the whole season and thinking of the problems that might still be there for us. I just want to really enjoy this performance, which I thought was good. I want to enjoy the the positivity of it because it's been very kind of negative in recent times. Um, and being able to take this really into the break that we've got coming up is a big positive. So I had a few options for my review. I had, um, you know, looked like Liverpool, Reds recognisable again, positive vibes return. Um, I think I'll go with the first one. I'll go with look like Liverpool because... That's yep. really, and I think, you know, having Thiago back on the side, who we might come on to talk about in a bit, um, really helps with that. And looking at the lineup, really, in the first instance, it looked, I think, what a lot of people would say in terms of who was available, who was in form, as as probably the strongest um, team that we could put out there. So maybe not all that surprising, really, given, given we know how much injuries have affected us up to this point. So you could certainly make that case, but. Before we move on, Chris, to, to individuals, anything else you want to say about Liverpool's performance as a whole? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, when, when it was uh, certainly in the first half, um, I was thinking along the lines of like better than Naples, although it couldn't have been much worse, <laughs> really. Um, yeah, it, it, they looked like a team that had had a bit of a kick up the backside in the first half, to be honest. They looked like a team that just wanted to get on the ball get on the ball, play your passes, get a feel for the ball, which was just something that they didn't have a chance to last week in Napoli. And it did feel like the kind of the confidence was there, the ability on the ball was there, and, you know, just such a much better performance overall, it has to be said. And as you say, there are one or two individuals that we will uh, discuss shortly. But, yeah, I think more like Liverpool is... Or looks like Liverpool is is absolutely yeah a good one to go with. So speaking of those individuals, let's move on to those now. Who were the players that that stood out most for you on the night? Right, that it has to be Thiago, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, as I said on uh, I said on Twitter, from the very first minute, or certainly the first few minutes, there was a there was a ball that was played into him, and he's facing the cop and he's facing Liverpool's goal. And he whips it round the corner first time into 
Trent Alexander-Arnold's path and he's got almost the freedom of the second half to, to choose what to do with it. And that is the awareness that when you take Alcan- when you take Thiago Alcantara out of that Liverpool team, that is the awareness that goes with it. And he is he's a just a fantastic player, and it's it it it's the fact that he can see where a pass should be played before the players even made the run, or it's just the awareness and how tenacious he is in midfield as well. A lot of people don't really give him the credit for that because he has improved a lot since his first. Well, when he first arrived in England and he picked up a lot of bookings, he's adapted magnificently to the pace of football that Liverpool play now. And I think it really is reflected in his style of play as well. His performance is just his, his control of the ball. And the fact that players look to give him the ball opportunity, every opportunity, even when, he, when, even when he's so deep on the ball as well. And also, obviously, John Matip scored the winner. But I don't know about you, Dave, when he's not playing and it's one of those things where you don't realise what you've got until you don't have it. His mazy runs out from defence, they create such an opening in the game that for people that maybe don't watch every every second of every Liverpool game, they don't really understand it, they don't really appreciate it. Joel Matip's ball-carrying skills, and I mean this, certainly, and we'll look at the Premier League in isolation, Joel Matip's ball-carrying skills are as good as any, certainly, defender in the Premier League, and I I would argue they're almost as good as any player in the Premier League in terms of how he can carry the ball out from defence and ultimately play a good pass to finish off the move or you know give it to someone who creates an opportunity. And those two players tonight showed why they are just so crucial to this Liverpool team. I'll start with Thiago there. I think you saw against Napoli when he came on how much he he stood out and. That was partly to do with technical skill, but also partly to do with the tenacity that you mentioned. And it was a point that we made um, when we were talking about that Napoli game last week. And I think that the tenacity point is a really good one because one of the key features really of that Thiago performance tonight was that he spent pretty much half the game on the ground. <laughs> um, the the amount of, of sliding tackles that, that he was going into, you know, some people might roll their eyes thinking back to that first season when he did pick up a lot of yellow cards. But for the most part tonight, they were all kind of well-executed sliding challenges. And I don't even think it, it was so much that as the aggression that, that he approached the game with, I think was was refreshing. And to have that maybe more active ball-winning presence alongside uh, Fabinho um, was a nice sort of change change of pace um, after what we've been seeing up to this point. And I think Thiago is a player, you know, he's won the, the official at Liverpool Man of the Match award tonight. You know, he visibly stands out on an individual level in terms of the quality that he possesses, but he also takes the team up a level in terms of yeah. not only on the ball, but, you know, it's abundantly clear at this point that Liverpool are much more secure out of possession yeah. um, when Thiago's on the pitch. And, you know, those stats that I mentioned earlier in terms of Ajax's shot count, their quality of chances, it's, I can tell you categorically, it's no coincidence that that's come um, with Thiago on the pitch. So I, it's almost one of them where it's like I was watching it and I wasn't overly struck by 
just how good he was. And I know that, that that's weird to say. I was probably more struck by it against Napoli because of how much of a contrast it was to what we'd seen before. But I think that really shows how much I've almost just come to expect it from him now um, when he is on the pitch. And, and I fully appreciate, really, the difference he makes. And I think coming into the game, I was much more confident because I knew he was going to be starting the match. Um, yeah. And I think maybe that's why it wasn't it wasn't something that really struck me during it. Like, oh, that's just what he does. You know, th- this is just his nature when he plays. Um, and as for Matip, again, I'd bring it back to Napoli. I'd say, you know, I was really disappointed with how it panned out for Joe Gomez because, you know, I, I feel like I really, really root for him almost more so than, than some other fans do. But it was a change that had to be made. There was no escaping that. And part of the reason for that was when Matip came on, he defended with a certain aggression um, that I think was sorely lacking up to that point because we know that we have a style of defending that is sort of almost non-combative um, and it, it, it's like standing off, really, and trying to catch the opposition offside a lot of the time. And, you know, certainly Virgil van Dijk a lot of the time maybe won't engage. Um, that's his strategy. But Matip was a lot more kind of front foot in his style in Napoli and it was pleasing to see, and obviously tonight, you know, that element of the game, but also, like you say, the underrated playmaking side too, and it, and it just gives Liverpool another weapon, really. You know, it's not going to be, he's not going to be someone who, who necessarily gets assists when he's doing that, but it's all it's about the situations um, that he's creating when he does, I'd say. So, yeah, I completely rather, agree yeah. with those two rather, shouts. Rather ironically, there was a point when I was thinking about would Matip get subbed when you know when he got on the yellow card um in the second half and I think Bergvine at that point kind of put kind of planted himself on him and I was thinking if you if you put a foot out of place here you're gone so actually his discipline as well after yeah. receiving that yellow card was really spot on I, 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 there was one more as well I just have to say look we we aren't immune from this in terms of last week's podcast after the Napoli game Trent Alexander-Arnold received a lot of criticism, a lot of criticism, and he receives a lot of criticism on quite a regular basis for how people view him as a defender. Against Steven Bergvine tonight, who has had a very good start to the season and is a very dangerous player, he was absolutely brilliant. I just have to say that as well. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's easier almost to lay into a player yeah. when everyone's sort of doing that in unison than it is to almost give them their dues in terms of credit. And, you know, there are people saying and and, and the BT Sport pundits, for example, maybe questioning his, his role in the Ajax goal. I, I certainly think it at least doesn't come down to um, a failure to take responsibility, which was kind of the things that were getting levelled um, in the wake of um, the Napoli game and, and maybe one or two other games this season. Um, but in terms of on the ball, much better from him as well, because that has been, whilst the focus has really been on um, his defensive failing so far this season, on the ball too, he hasn't really been able to to change the narrative and, and put the focus back onto that. But I thought he, he was much better on that side. And one of the things that struck me really um, during the game was that he was able to um, beat players through dribbling a couple of times too, which was a, a nice weapon for him to have. Just sort of, not not so much by, you know, sort of outright maybe skill, but just almost knocking the ball past them. And 
and outwitting them in that sense. And um, if he can continue to do that, that's going to be a really good way for Liverpool to navigate the way out of some tight situations in the middle and maybe create some some openings too. So, so that was good. Um, anyone else maybe to mention? The, the one I was maybe thinking of that we haven't said so far is um, is Simicast. There was a moment where in the second half where he almost got drawn into a what I'd call kind of a left centre midfield position watching the ball and then it was obvious as soon as Ajax got it that they were going to aim it out to the right-hand side, which was vacant. Um, and that was a real heart-in-mouth moment. So that was the only issue that I had. But he also was responsible for, I think, one of the best moments of the match, which would have probably been right in front of you or very close to you, Chris, where he uh, made sure he got in front of Tadic, I think it was, in a situation yeah. where he looked like he might be on the wrong side. And then it's like he's trying to, he's about to push the ball out for a goal kick or a corner. And then he just turns out of trouble. I thought that was a brilliant piece of play. And created a lot of chances too. So, um, anything on Simakas or, or anyone else maybe? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I wouldn't say Robertson's had the best start of the season, but nevertheless, we all know just how good a player he is. And to play his understudy is always going to be a big task. And Simakas, again, a bit like Thiago, has really adapted since he came in. He was hit with injuries in his first season. Last year, he showed really how good he can be when he deputises. And again, it was similar today where when when Robertson isn't playing, there now isn't the panic when he's not playing because we know the quality that Simicass possesses um, in defensive situations just like that, but also his ability from set pieces. Again, getting the assist for John Matip's winner. Um, the only uh, other one really, I mean, of course, like Salah ending his drought, of course. Hopefully that can be big for him going forward. And again, I, I looked at Luis Diaz, but Luis Diaz, we, we, we come to a bit like what you say about coming to the expect from Thiago. Again, tenacious tonight, never stopped running, and he's becoming a, a Mr. Reliable, really, in terms of 7 out of 10s most week, just for his work ethic alone. So um, there, there were there were plenty of positives. Because um, I have to say, apart from, apart from the goal, I wouldn't say Salah was back to his dynamite best, but it's just seeing him hit the back of the net again, and you wonder what it could do for him mentally. So yeah, they're 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 my outstanding shouts. Yeah, do you know what? It's almost completely slipped my mind, which is probably telling in some respects <laughs> to to give to give Salah the credit for for that because it was a very well taken goal, the kind of run that we like to see from him as well. Um, so that's what happens when he comes central. Exactly, and <laughs> um, there did seem to be more of an effort to to get the um wide players and and the front front three in, in the positions that. They can they can be more effective tonight, which was good to see, and also just like a a, a big relief um, to see Salah, see Salah back on the score sheet in light of what's been said, and I, and I completely agree with your point about Timakas in terms of I, I do think Robertson's the best there is in his position, but I agree that his perform his performances up to this point haven't really been that great. Set I mean certainly going forward he's not really offering too much at all. Um, so whilst it is definitely a blow for him to be injured um, for, for a few weeks, I also think that it shows how well Simakas has done that it wasn't that much of a concern because we know we have someone who can step in, perform at a similar level, if not quite being able to reach Robertson's peak. And also you don't have to compromise on style like you would say on the right-hand side if you've got James Milner or Joe Gomez stepping in uh, for Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, 
One other thing I wanted to, to mention, which has just kind of occurred to me as we're recording. So Liverpool brought on Nunez and Firmino in the 66th minute, took off Elliot and Jota. So obviously, that was a move to a 4-2-3-1 formation um, with Fabinho and Thiago in a two. What, what do you think of that? Is that something, I mean, obviously, you know, you can think about how it impacted Liverpool tonight, but is that something that, that going forward we, we could see maybe almost from the starters as a viable setup for Liverpool? Because it seems like it has the ingredients to work. Possibly. Uh, Fabino, or sorry, Firmino, um, his role struck me as more of a 10, to be honest, in the game. Um and when I saw the starting eleven, and this is nothing against Diogo Jota at all, ultimately he provided the uh, assist for Salah and he is coming back from injury, of course. But Darwin Nunez, if, if we're going to see the very best of Darwin Nunez, he needs to be integrated into the team. And the way that he gets integrated into the team is by starting games and getting fluidity. Now, I would have liked to have seen him start tonight, to be honest, um, just to get, you know, minutes in his legs, get the crowd behind him. You saw, I think there was a part when I think he shot, he shot wide, but then started to get the crowd up. He, you know, he's trying to make sure his, his own heads didn't go down more than anything else. Um, my biggest frustration with Nunez so far is his tendency to drift out to the left because that's where Diaz should be. I know when Mane was, um, at Liverpool, there was that interchanging. He could go through the centre. Diaz could end up through the centre. Salah could, of course, end up through the centre. I want to see... I don't want to see Darwin Nunez. For the majority of the game, I don't want to see him past the parameters of the 18-yard box because that's where he's going to get his goals. In the middle, he's going to be getting on the end of crosses, and that's what I want to see from him going forward. I know he came in from the left at the time for Benfica, but at Liverpool, that should be Diaz that should be his role, that should be his priority, and the rest should get in the box ready for the delivery from him. Um, so that's just my take on Nunez, of course. You're going to get the knee-jerk reactions, oh, he's missed another opportunity, and all that kind of stuff. And we talked about, of course, pre-season about all that. Um, but it's up to him. Look, there's a break now. Get his head down, get practising. And I do have faith in Darwin Nunez. I'm not, I'm not someone that's going to be jumping on any sort of bandwagon. Of course, I'm not saying that he looks amazing at the moment, but he's not had the run of games to look great. So I think when he gets that run of games, we'll see plenty of goals from Darwin Nunez. In terms of, could I see a 4-2-2-2? Possibly. Um, be interested to see if him and Jota could work together, Nunez and Jota, but I think Firmino's role now is striking me more as a number 10 anything going forward and I think I think that could work I think that could work very well yeah potentially um I think obviously it was the role that he played I think during his days at uh, Hoffenheim um, and maybe a little bit before uh, Jürgen Klopp actually came into Liverpool so perhaps sort of the, the answer for him would be almost looking backwards in terms of where his, his future might lie in the side um and yeah on Nunez it's like it's it's kind of clear that he does have some sort of technical limitations and maybe when he's kind of operating outside the box, you, you, you do almost want to almost leave that to to others as much as the the movement that, that you see from him um in terms of 
drifting can be effective in its own way. You know, you almost see similarities to Jota in terms of you know where he's going to do um, his best and, and most impactful work. Um, so we'll see how, how that situation develops. But you mentioned it there. How important is this victory for Liverpool and especially with a, a huge three-week break um, coming up now? Oh, massive. It's absolutely massive. Um, the fact that it's the last game until the 1st of October as well, it's not ideal. Um, but it is really, really big just to give everyone a big lift because if, if, it, if it wasn't a win and the group either with a draw or a defeat group wouldn't have been looking amazing, even ahead of uh, back-to-back games against Rangers, to be honest. Um, but it, it breeds confidence. It, it gets the winning feeling back, absolutely, within the fans, within the team. Um, I'll be honest, I, I would have liked the Wolves game to have been on um, because you know, we talk about a mark of respect. Um, to, to the Queen, and I think football shows shows respect as well as any sport, to be honest. And I would have liked to have seen it on, but ultimately got called off. It'd be it'd feel weird that Liverpool's only Premier League game of the year or the uh, the month was uh, was the Merseyside derby at the start of the month, but it is what it is, and Liverpool will have to you know, regroup, um, at least in a positive light, <laughs> over the next few weeks. Hopefully, this time can be used to get some bodies back as well um, and have an even stronger-looking squad going into the the six weeks, effectively, it is, isn't it, between the start of October and then the middle of November when the World Cup takes place. So it could be, mentally, a really, really big result for Liverpool, this. You, you didn't want to almost be stewing in more drop points or, or another defeat or anything like that for, for such a long period. And it's nice to be able to reflect back on this and carry this good feeling into the break. And it, it is a bizarre situation we find ourselves in, obviously, because of extenuating circumstances where you've got really a sort of domestic break and then the internationals and then obviously you're going to have the World Cup as well. So it's going to be a little bit um, disrupted and Hopefully Liverpool can find um, rhythm in that phase before the, the World Cup and then obviously they'll have to discover it again. So the dynamics are, are very sort of unprecedented and, and, and challenging um, at the same time. But yeah, certainly valuable in terms of the group um, and and getting on the board there with the three points and, and valuable in terms of uh, the mood at the club too. And a lot of encouraging signs in terms of, like I say, Liverpool looking recognisable. But obviously, you know, it's all about now going to Brighton, um, which I think is the, the next fixture um, after the uh, internationals. And and showing that you, you can build on that now and making sure it isn't the kind of flash in the pan um, that we saw against Bournemouth because you had the United defeat absolutely desperate that night. And then you come back and, and you think Bournemouth is the launch pad. Then you put in a shaky performance against Newcastle, drop points at Everton, and then even worse than United at Napoli. So we've got to make sure that this isn't another uh, false dawn. But yeah, so three weeks effectively now, I think, to until Liverpool's next game. Uh, but stick with us until then. Uh, thanks, Chris, uh, for coming on. If you enjoyed the podcast, uh, please give it a five-star review on Spotify 
or a positive view on any other podcast platform. And yeah, subscribe to YouTube channel too, because I promise eventually there is going to be um, content going up on there, little clips of our episodes. So yeah, nice to be talking about our win for a change. Um, we'll see you next time, but until then, take care.